sing one more. Uh, hymn before the message. This is hymn 368. Speak of. Amen. Kids, you can head downstairs for E-Kids, and I want to invite the rest of you to go with me to Matthew's Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. So this month, we've been doing a series of for Christmas called They're Not Supposed to Be Here, and where we're getting that is when you look at the genealogy 
of Jesus, particularly the one here in Matthew, you see some characters that you're kind of like, okay, you think of the family tree, who's, in, who's at a family table for Jesus, and you see this list of who's on the invite list, and then you're like, wait, they're not supposed to be here, and that's where grace comes in. So we've looked at several of those this, this past month. Uh, but sometimes we look at those genealogies and we kind of do that, that text message lingo, you know, TLDR, too long, didn't read, skip to the, where it gets to the baby being born. And it's just, but that in God's sovereignty, he chose that after 400 years between Malachi and the beginning of the new covenant, the new Testament, that he would start with this genealogy of Jesus. And so just like the, those Jews awaiting the Messiah to come, his first coming, the church today, so we are um, waiting on his second coming. And so that's really one of the ways to say it. We, we are um, called to go into all the world and make disciples, uh, waiting on his second coming, as we used to say a lot here, a going church for a coming Christ, right? Um, so we're looking for that second coming. So those genealogies, let's do a little, little review. Really, a genealogy it's like if you got on Ancestry.com or there's so many different ones now to do a family tree. Is that's essentially what it is. It's the, the story, the family lineage, the family tree. This is the story. And it kind of undergirds the human origins of, gene, of Jesus. And it echoes many of the genealogies in the Old Testament. But it's giving, declaring Jesus' history and then demonstrating Jesus' descent. And so I mentioned that uh, there's two genealogies. There's one in Matthew chapter 1, one in Luke chapter 3. Uh, the one in Matthew focuses on Joseph and the one in, uh, and going back from Abraham. Uh, the one in Luke seems to focus on Mary's side of the family going all the way to Adam. And so um, la- the, we looked at l- some lessons from those genealogies and some of the slides there that the genealogies teach us that Christmas is a continuation of the Old Covenant, that they're connected to the covenants, that the Christmas story isn't just about the main characters. There's no secondary characters in, in God's plan. Uh, he has that. And, and then that um, God um, accepts the sinful and marginalized. And that's when we looked in the, in the um, genealogies and you see a few names come up like Tamar, who has a child, two twin boys conceived out of wedlock by her father-in-law. Um, and she's included there. Or Rahab, the harlot, the mother of Boaz, a, a Canaanite woman being brought into this family. And, and then the, the wife, Matthew says, the wife of Uriah by David, which is Bathsheba. And we looked at that, um, how God accepts those that others reject. The, the rose that would say, I don't want to touch that. Jesus is saying, I want those in my family tree. I want that to be my great-grandmother, and I'll bring them in. And that he chooses the unlikely people, and he is the savior of all types of people. So Jesus' family tree around his Christmas table are men, women, adulterers, prostitutes, heroes, Gentiles, um, and sinners like you and like me. And the church is like that as well. Open arms, whosoever will. And then we saw last time we looked at the story where Boaz and Ruth are. They're in that family tree. Boaz, the son of Rahab. And then Ruth, the Moabitess. So this um, interracial marriage that is um, a story about 
you know, debt, systemic poverty, and interracial friendship, discrimination because of age, economic situations. And we see this beautiful story of a kinsman redeemer in Boaz. who, when, when Ruth marries him, all of her debts are canceled and all of her, his wealth is credited to her, just like when you come to Christ. And then that Ruth is a type of a redeemer as well because she is, she, most people immigrate with hope of a better life, but she immigrates to sacrifice so that Naomi could have a better life. And Christ left his father's throne above so that he could come and be born in a stable, not in a palace, for us. He gives his life, so she's a picture of that. And of course, it's all looking to this ultimate redeemer that would be the great descendant of Ruth. Uh, and that would be seeing David, who is picturing us to do this, to go to Christ. So we saw that we all need a Redeemer, um, that we might be like without hope, like Ruth, but we need a, a Redeemer like Boaz, but better than Boaz, like, like Ruth, but better than Ruth. Um, and as the gospel that defines us, not our family, not our marriage, not our culture, not our nationality, not the class we live in, but the gospel is the center of it. And so, and that's where we come today, and as we've looked through uh, Matthew's genealogy, it ends with Joseph. And Matthew really focuses on Joseph, and, um, and so we come to that, so I want to point out Joseph. I, sometimes Joseph gets a raw deal at Christmas, and I want to point out the true nature of what living as a righteous person looks like. And so we're going to look at that and then, the, and then the birth account. And so the, the story ends, the genealogy in your friend Matthew um, comes down. We'll begin pick up the reading in verse 12 because there's 14 generations to Babylon and then they pick up another 14 generations. So this is God's word. Let's pick up in Matthew 1, verse 12. We'll read to the end of the chapter and we'll have prayer and dig in. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shittiel, and Shittiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Madden, and Madden, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary, who had betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us now. Thank you for this story and Joseph's role, bringing us to the one who would save us from our sins. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged, be challenged, and be renewed to be just and kind, to trust you and obey you, to search for you and your guidance when we don't understand things, that we would learn from Joseph and his part in this story. They're pointing us to Christ, the ultimate one in the story. Lord, I ask for your help now. Pray that you'd um, just pour out this to your people and use your word the way you'd want it to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, divorce and contemplating divorce is a very scary thing, filled with a lot of anxiety and regrets and um, collateral damage. And um, when you see, we see in this passage the um, Joseph making this, uh, contemplating, divorcing Mary. And there's a lot, of, a lot of qualities in Joseph's life that are seen here. If you're kind of doing a character study, you know, that he is, uh, you know, very, a man given to principle. He, he sticks with what he believes. Um, he, he shows some discretion and a level of mercy and that stems from love. Uh, obviously, has a love for Mary. But he's very. Then he shows he's responsive to God when God speaks to him. And then he, at the end of the chapter, it shows that he's he's a man of self control and that he doesn't know Mary until she's given birth um, to a son. So there's three things I want to point out this morning about Joseph in the time we have left today, and um, and we'll see how far we get through that. And then tomorrow night, Lord willing, we'll be looking at uh, some of the, the emphasis of this salvation aspect of um, the Christmas story. The first thing I want to point out is when it says that Joseph um, uh, is the the genealogy that says Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. If you're looking here, the the passage says the father of, or uh, in the King James it says begat, meaning this is the father, this is the one who, who fathered each of these children. But you notice the text changes gears when it gets to Joseph the husband of Mary. And what it's doing is pointing to us to the virgin conception of Jesus, that he is the divine son of God that is not tainted by the sin nature of man because, you know, as my wife likes to point out to me all the time, sin nature is passed to children through the father. You know, she likes to be very theological when when she does that, you know, that they got that sin nature from their dad. Um, And so this is an important thing, that virgin conception. Now, Mary is not, uh, as far as we know from, uh, she has other children, so there's not a perpetual virginity of Mary, uh, but but the conception of Jesus, he is conceived of the Holy Spirit. That's an important thing for us to note. It's an important thing for us to get there. So there's a few theological things that that we're going to see here in this passage. So just from the big story, the, the, the important theological, the doctrinal things is the virgin conception of Jesus, the royal lineage of Jesus uh, that we get from Joseph, and then we see also here the name Jesus, that has given this name Jesus, meaning 
God saves. Jehovah saves. He's going to save people from this is so important. And all this hinges on um, one man. I mean, God is sovereign, but uh, humanly speaking, one man, what he does in contemplating divorce. Uh, domestic things make a big, have huge ramifications. And so the, uh, this is a betrothal thing time here. So there's a little cultural thing we need to understand that engagement uh, was a, a little bit bigger deal. So when, when they are betrothed, they're, they're legally bound. So she's still living with her parents, the, the, the bride would, but they'd not come together to live together or come together physically as man and wife. Uh, but, they, but if there was a separation or a breaking off of what we would call engagement, it was actually a legal divorce, and there was reasons for that. It was a, kind of a bigger deal. And, and so there's a kind of a pre-part of the, um, uh, of the marriage, which I actually think is just to, to back up. So if you're into like customs of uh, ancient Jewish customs and marriage, things like that, there is kind of a big picture because the church is called the bride of Christ, right? Um, and, and so there's this time that, that, there's a, uh, that you're married, that you're bound. He's the, bri- the bride. And, and then there's, so what, hap- what would happen during this time is that the um, groom would be preparing a place, maybe building on a house uh, to his parents' house or building a new place. And then he would do things when he went back after about a year to get his bride and they'd have this celebration. They would have like lamps and trumpeters and shouts calling for the procedure. Here's these other stories in the Bible about the virgins that had their oil or didn't have their, their lamps trimmed and things like this. But there's also this bigger picture of the second advent of Jesus of Here's this bride awaiting the one to come and there's a trumpet and there's a shout and there's a gathering together and forever being with the Lord. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. So there's this big picture of the bride of Christ and Christ and you can get into a lot of end time stuff there. But I think that some of the pictures in the wedding there are make it pretty simple. Um, so you see that going on here. So betrothal in, in Jewish civil law, if there was... Um, uh, some type of infidelity, whether that was forced by rape or consensual, there was grounds for the man to divorce um, the woman. And also the authorities had, um, had the right to stone her. In fact, I want you to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 22. And I, I, normally I would just read these, but I want you to kind of put your eyeballs on it. Well, that means... Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 23, it says this. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones the young woman because she did not cry for help though she was in the city and the man because he violated his neighbor's wife so you shall purge the evil from your midst that's a key statement there you shall purge the evil from your midst but if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed and the man seizes her and lies with her then only the man who lay with her shall die but you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death. For this cause is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor. Because he met her in the open country. And though he betrothed 
The young woman cried for help. There was no one to rescue her. And so that's, a, that's kind of like, when you read that passage, right? This is God's law. And so um, I noted there that, so Mary comes to Joseph and that she is with child. And she is conceived of the Holy Spirit. I love that song in that the, one of the stanzas in the um, um, O Come Let Us Adore Him Christmas Carol. Um, and when it says, uh, true God of true God, light of light eternal, lo, he shuns the, not the virgin's womb, son of God, begotten, not created. Uh, the, the, he, there was never a time that he didn't pre-exist, um, but he's there. So anyway, but one of the things that I think sometimes we miss, because uh, we're, we're reading this story and we're getting to the birth of Jesus, you know, so that we can say amen, pray, and open the presents, right? Um, that's what we're trying to do. But I want to I step back and kind of imagine you're a little, in a little bit of a, a counselor's room here, and you're thinking about it, Joseph's emotional state. I want us to pause and think about the anxiety and the stress that is on Joseph at this point. He loves Mary. And she comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. So your fiancé comes to you and says, I'm pregnant. And you know it's not you. And she's got this line about how that's the Holy Spirit. Because she's already had an angel come tell her that Luke tells us that. It's not here in Matthew because Matthew's so focused on Joseph's side. Um, now, a lot of times people would say, oh, those ancient people, they didn't know. You know, they hadn't had that class in eighth grade, you know. Um, so uh, uh, they didn't know about this stuff. Well, how do you think they got there? They actually, people knew. He, they, 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 they knew how biology worked. He understood this. Um, do you really believe this? Okay, and if he believes her, is anybody else going to believe her? Sure. Oh, yeah, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, there's a, And he's also, but it says he is a just man or a righteous man, verse 19 says. And what that means, that he's a just man, is means that he is uncompromising in his obedience to the Torah, to the law of Moses. I mean, so Joseph is an upright guy, good reputation in town, obeys the law, so he doesn't eat unclean food. Joseph is the guy who doesn't mix with the wrong type of people. He's a carpenter. His carpentry shop is not open on Saturday, and that people will not be inviting Joseph over to have ham sandwiches. You know, he obeys the law. You know, no barbecue dinners for, for Joseph, right? He is upright. He has this reputation. And he's in a small town. We've, we've, oh, I love that. Jesus of Nazareth. Um, from the no place place town, the, the bad town that is still, even today, it's kind of a blip, Nazareth. I remember in 99, I got to go on a tour of Israel. And Nazareth was just like, oh, we didn't even go down into it. It was like, it, I mean, it's still kind of like, eh, you know, it's like, you know, where are you from? Oh, Nazareth. It's kind of this, they, they, but Jesus is, honors that. And, um, and so it's a small town. And as you all know, in a small town, word gets around, right? Everybody knows everybody's business. Um, you know, I mean, small towns don't need social media. I mean, every, you just go to Walmart. You find out everything. Who, who was married to who before who, and who was engaged to who before who, and who did this in college with that person before this, before they got married to that person, and, you know, now they're a preacher's wife, you know, and you know, and, and you know all that stuff, right? Um, and in Nazareth is the same way. So he knows, okay. Um, 
And he also sees what we, he knows the law that we just read, that you're to, to purge this evil from you. So he is brought to this. He has this anxiety. And the text says he is just, a just man or a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Here's a, a, a key thing, and this kind of really struck me this week. Joseph is just, righteous, but he is kind. He shows mercy. He's like, okay, I know I need to divorce her, but I don't want to hurt her. I don't want this to be a, a big hugabaloo. I don't want these guys to get out and, to where, and you know how these religious guys are. They're going to want to stone her because you see what they did and, you know, the, the other woman that caught in adultery uh, that Jesus had to stop. And that, so this is, um, you know, so he's like, so he's, and you know what I think is cool there is when we think of righteous or a just person, we often think of that not being the same type of person who's kind. You know, parents get this, that right, strict, obedience to the law, and kind. So committed to um, observing the law and committed to caring for people at the same time. We often think of those as two opposite types of people. So like, you know, your kid comes up and they, they broke a rule or they did something they shouldn't do. They were disobedient. They're like, well, do I show mercy or do I do what's right and uphold the rule? Is there a dichotomy there? And I think what this, is, what this story of Joseph is has given us a picture of what being a righteous person actually looks like. Um, in fact, we're going to see here um, later on, there's a psalm that says that the righteous ones are the ones that do show mercy. That righteous, the righteous are not those that don't pay back their debts, but they're the ones that show mercy. I think it's Psalm 37 that tells us that. And so um, that Joseph is showing mercy, and I think there's a lesson for there for those that would be in sin or considering something or conceived, you know, that there's a mercy that's shown. Um, And and I really hope, and I've mentioned this before, that we want to have that type of heart of a church here. That, man, I mean, we preach, you know, uh, sexual purity like crazy, and we want to, like, just, you know, encourage all of our young people to stay pure. But you know what? If, if a girl comes to our church and says, hey, I, I got pregnant, you know what our disposition should be at that point? No matter what the circumstances of conception, that child is a gift of God. It's his heritage. And, and, and we love that. And we want to encourage. And, and I mean, you're going to be pro-life, be pro-life. All right? Um, so, um, so anyway, so there's a lesson there of just and kindness on the observation I want to point out about Joseph. But... As he is contemplating this, so the the text tells us here, he is thinking, but as he considered these things, verse 20. As he considers these things. Now, uh, Matthew Henry said that God gives guidance to the thoughtful and not to the unthinking. Um, So the guidance that comes, the angel comes and appears to Joseph, but he is considering this. I mean, there's a lesson. Think on these things. Chew on it. What, so, so, so there's an anxiety and a stress that, that Joseph is not taking this lightly. Mercy to Mary, upholding the law. There's a stress on him. And as he's contemplating this, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. 
Now, here's what I think is really cool. What God does is he is seeking for guidance. God names for him his God-given identity. Now, I'm sure some of us, you know, if you've ever dabbled into um, studying your, fam- your heritage, your family tree, all of us probably somewhere hope that one of our descendants was like royalty at some point, right? And we kind of always hope for that. But it doesn't really affect us now, does it? You know, because truth be told, my genealogy, my, my, what's in my veins is railroad, tobacco farms, and coal mines. I mean, that's what's in my veins, right? And, and so, so, so and, and Joseph's a carpenter. And so he, yeah, he knew what tribe he was from and things like that, but he's a carpenter. He's in Nazareth. He's not in the palace. He's not, there's no, no one bowing down when Joseph walks. They're usually asking him to fix something, right? I mean, so, so, for, so for when the angel says, Joseph, son of David. And I think there's a lesson there for us that, that I mean, there's the uh, Lauren Daigle song, You Say Who I Am, that God calls out our identity. Um, think of Gideon. You mighty man of valor. The guy's scared and all this, but God says, you're a mighty man of valor. And so Joseph, son of David. And so when God says to you and your name, that you're one of mine, you're a saint. You're Saint Richard, Saint Adrian, Saint Hank. You're one of mine. You're my son. You're royal. You're joint heir with Christ. You're forgiven. You're given righteousness. I mean, this is who you are. Um, so our, his identity drives this. So as you're contemplating, when maybe God's put you in a time of stress and anxiety and uh, struggling with uh, a big decision or circumstances of life, that God calling you who you are, what your identity is, that you're a Christian, a follower of Christ in him, one of his children. And so in this, the text goes on to say, that appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not Fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, when I read this story, I'm like, okay, angel shows up, it is the Holy Spirit, she's conceived of the Holy Spirit, she didn't cheat on me. You know, I'm sure there's like a lot of stress that's lost on Joseph at that point, right? But you ever wondered like, why did Mary get like the angel ahead of time to tell her and not Joseph? I mean, why has the guy got to sweat it out, right? You know, I mean, he's going through all this like turmoil and things. So um, why the struggle? Why would God not have just removed that anxiety from Joseph? But as that one person I read this week said, could it be possible that the removal of Joseph's anxiety was not God's number one goal? That it was declaring the Savior to save us from our sins? So if you're going through some anxiety and some stressful situations, could it be that the removal of that is not God's number one goal? That maybe he has something bigger with your life or your plans to teach you, to grow you, to use you in a way that's just not understandable. I mean, there is this, 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 you know, this kind of swirling uh, of not knowing what's going on that's going on in Joseph's mind at this time. 
But God's using that to grow him to a new state in his own walk with God. And you may be going through a time like that right now. And could it be that God's bringing you to another level, another level of lesson or another level of growth that God's preparing? But in this, it's also given us a lesson of what righteousness looks like. So the angel comes and says, don't fear to take her. Because she is conceived of the Holy Spirit, she's going to bear a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Now, this is an incredible thing, what, the, what, the, what God, through this angel, was asking Joseph to do. Don't fear. Now, why would he fear to take Mary as his wife? Well, one, um, there's a reputation at stake. I mean, he is, he is a righteous man. He's always obeyed. He's in a small town. People are going to know. People, he knows that a lot of the people in Nazareth are never going to believe this about Mary, that there's always going to be a shadow of suspicion over their heads. And he's also knowing that they're going to suspect him in that, and so if he adopts that baby, raises it as his own, especially if he names it Jesus, there's kind of like a, I mean, it's all on the line right here for Joseph, right? So don't fear. But it shows us what righteousness is, because true righteousness is doing right, obeying God, following God's direction to him, what God's called him, despite reputation. And, and I mean, some, many of you know, committing yourself to a baby is a sacrifice. I mean, there's money, there's sweat and tears and late nights and diapers and all the things that fill those, and that's life, Right? You're committing yourself to that. I mean, he's signing on. I mean, he's got, he's got the pass. He could get out of this. And they don't fear to do this. And I think that does show us a little bit about what true righteousness is. That in this, this is an odd start to a family. You know, this isn't the way most people start their families. And, but this is what God calls him to. And that true righteousness is sacrifice, commitment, risking reputation, to obey God. And if we're going to be righteous people, if we're going to follow the Lord in that way, we're going to be willing to do the same. So true righteousness, as Ligon Duncan pointed out about this, is a concern for God's law with a concern for God's people. So, so, so this kindness and justice that Joseph shows. And so... Um, it comes to the end then of the passage. And it says, um, all this took place to fulfill the prophecy that was spoken by the prophet. This is Isaiah 7. We've looked at that earlier. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Shall call his name Emmanuel. So, okay, Joseph knows this. He knows the law. It's reminding him this is being fulfilled in her. And when Joseph woke from sleep, I love this. No fanfare, no nothing. He wakes up. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He just obeys. He just does what he was told. This is what righteous person, a just person does. And took his, took his wife, knew her not until she had given birth, and called his name Jesus. So what Joseph is doing here, Joseph, son of David, God called his identity, said who he was. And when he names him Jesus, He's adopting Jesus, so Jesus is now legally in the line of Joseph, the line of David, 
the Messiah, the credentials in this, because Joseph chooses to obey God through this angel to adopt this baby as his own and raise him as him and name him the Savior. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. It's just an incredible, incredible thing. So I want to ask, what would have happened had Joseph not done this? What if he would have divorced Mary? Now, it's one of those what-ifs that God would have figured something else out. You know, there would have been another descendant of David. God's plans aren't going to be thwarted. And it's kind of weird to even speculate about it. But I think it is something for us to know that when we're in those times of swirling and anxiety and decisions, that us choosing to follow God in the right way, we have no idea what plans he has for that. Um, when God talks about in, in Corinthians, to Paul says that, that we, uh, we, we only know in part, but God the full. When the, the perfect comes, or that there's more to be, or when, um, I think in John, when it says that we'll know as we're known. Because what it's highlighting for us is all of us have limited knowledge of things. That we don't know what God's up to. Um, you know, so Joseph and Potiphar's wife in jail, forgotten, all these things. You're like, what is God doing? He has no idea, but he's following God. He's faithful to God, and God uses him to preserve his people. Um, you know, all these other stories throughout the scripture that you can think of uh, that they didn't know ahead of time what God was doing. Joseph has no idea ahead of time what's going on here. But the fact that he's contemplating this to not put her away um, and to put her away privately in a gentle, merciful way and he's obedient. And I lo- really, what this comes down to is the, the, the lyrics to that old hymn, Trust and Obey. So there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Joseph just wakes up, trusts God, obeys God, does what he's told. I think there's a huge lesson there for us in Joseph. And so what we have in that is pointing out for us that the divine, virgin-conceived Son of God, that the, the, the God becomes flesh in this, the lineage, son of David, rightful heir to the throne, fulfilling the covenant to David. His name means God is going to save. He is Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. And that's what it's all about. That God's using us in that way. So I hope you will, as you meditate on Joseph a little bit here, that it'll be a lesson to you, parents this week, grandparents this week, of rightness and kindness are not, di- not against each other. They're together. That um, the, our identity is in what God declares it to be, not what we feel or our circumstances. Oh, I'm just a shepherd. I'm just a carpenter. I'm poor. I've got a you know, possibly unfaithful fiancé. Son of David. Uh, what God says you are, and then that we would be those that would just trust and obey. And I hope we'll do that this week as we point people to the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and thank you so much for this story of Joseph. And Lord, he's really just so much like us, a carpenter wanting to be just a humble man, but declared to be uh, the the, the son of David, reminding us of our identity in you, that we are royal priests, a kingdom of priests in you. Lord, help us to believe that, to act that way this week, and help us, like Joseph, to be those that would trust and obey, 
Lord, help us to be just and kind. Help us to be so committed to your word, but also concerned for caring and being merciful to other people. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we meditate upon these things and apply them to our hearts this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing together.